What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the I'm Getting There podcast. It's your host, Michael Booth, and I'm back. I uh, went on vacation for a few days, uh, went home to see family, um, celebrate some birthdays, and just have a good time. You know, it was it was a whole lot of fun, uh, and I'm back now in California, and I got a new podcast episode for you guys. I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, my guest today on the show is a first-time guest on the show. Um he is a comedian, he is a show producer, he's a writer, he's produced comedy festivals, um, he's a show host, uh, He he's just done like so many cool things to even name uh, his DNA, and I it was really cool to have him on the show. You guys can go follow him on Instagram at VoteDNA, and also on Twitter as well, and Facebook is DNA. Uh, and then if you go to dnascomedylab.com, I think he has tickets for all the shows that he's producing right now and putting on. I think it's Greater Purpose Brewing every Friday. And then Paradox Hotel, I think it's twice a month now. And then there's another show he was talking about as well. So go to his website to find more stuff about that. And also if you could follow the podcast at I Am Getting There Pod, all one word, um, on Instagram. And then on Twitter at IGT Pod. Uh, that would be great i post every you know every time i post an episode i post uh links and tag the guests in the episodes as well and posting uh you know in the instagram stories and stuff and so yeah go on there and, and follow that and also if you could if you're listening right now please hit that subscribe button and hit that bell tap that bell notification um so you can know when a new episode's dropping every week and uh or hit the plus bar wherever you're listening on right now there's so many different you know ways to to subscribe and to uh, and to stay notified, and if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts, if you could please go and hit that uh, the hit those star ratings and also leave a review for the podcast, that would be uh, awesome. I'm trying to um, so I appreciate everybody that's done that so far. You know, a lot of people have done that already, which is great, and uh, you know, thank you to those who've done that and uh, to those who've shared the podcast. Really appreciate that too. Um, the feedback has been great. You know, I went home and a bunch of people had mentioned that, you know, they've been listening to the show, um, which is really cool to hear that as well. So thank you to all those that have, you know, that have been listening and are still listening. And I hope you enjoy this episode with DNA. kind of i don't even know how to start this really because there's kind of like so much to that i kind of want to ask or kind of just that i've because i've like seen stuff and like heard stories and you know there's like there's always like a, a perception of somebody that you get before you actually meet them yeah or get to know them right and um i like had heard about you for like months and i was like i you kind of became like this like almost like this figure that I didn't even know if he was a real person or not, not because I'm I just not, had heard I, your let's name just get so that much. out of the way. <laughs> I'm not a real person. <laughs> but, but like I had heard your name so much for like months. And then I was like, who is this guy that everybody keeps talking about? Who's DNA? Like, why does everybody keep saying that? And I was like, and then, um, I ended up like meeting you and stuff. And then like, I think it was right before, like, I don't even, I think it was like right before, 
you started the lab, I think, was like when I met you. And uh, you'd already been doing, like, comedy had already been going on for so long, but you'd already been doing so much before that, too. Like, from what, like, I see you post sometimes on, like, online, like, stuff from, like, in the past that you've done. It's like, (laughs) like, you you just have, like, this whole, like, you've done, like, all this crazy awesome stuff. And, um. Pays to be old. You know what I mean? (laughs) Older you get, the more stuff you have. I mean, hopefully. I mean, that's my goal anyway. Yeah. But I just, I don't know. I kind of want to like, I guess I just kind of want to ask you like, cause I know I've seen like you, I guess you, you had like Chico's kind of like where you, like, it looks like some of the stuff started earlier. Am, am I correct in that? Like, I mean, comedy, comedy wise. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't, grow, I didn't grow up. I grew up in Jersey. Uh, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, but I, I didn't start like doing, I mean, I've been putting on shows since I was, eight years old. Um, but, uh, and I was probably making more money when I was eight also. Uh, I think I've gone <laughs> downhill. I used to rake in the money when I was eight, when I noticed when my family would gather that if I told them there was a show in the basement, they would all give me a dollar <laughs> come to the basement and put on a show magic inadvertent oh, okay. comedy. Um, and, uh, but yeah, Chico, I moved there and, uh, I moved there after graduate school. So like 87, something like that. And that's, uh, that's where I started doing the comedy biz. And that's like, you were doing like music before that too, weren't you? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, and this, I don't, uh, I don't talk about it a lot, but, um, yeah, in, in like 88 or something like that, I um, there was a Showtime college comedy laugh-off at Chico State, and I wanted to um, go because Will Durst was the host, and I had seen him a couple of times at this cowboy bar that uh, had comedy on Sundays in Chico, um, okay. and uh, they, had, they had comedy on Sundays... And then on the rest of the days, they just had throw hippies down the stairs. It was like it was like a hardcore kind of cowboy bar. But somehow, like on Sundays, they had comedy. And I saw Will Durst there and it was a really terrible set he had. Like um, the guy before him was doing like dog farting jokes and just destroying. And then Will came out and was doing political satire and just bombing. And uh, it was so fascinating. You know, I had seen stand up comedy back in Jersey, I used to go to some clubs and whatever. I went to Saturday night live and, you know, saw some Eddie Murphy and stuff, but I, and Andy Kaufman, but I never really paid attention. And I, I just, it was so fascinating to see Will. And then I heard he was hosting this thing at Chico state. So I went and then the, I didn't have the three bucks to get in or whatever, but they said, if I enter the contest, uh, I get in for free. So I entered okay. and in 88, I think. And then uh, I won like in front of like 600 rowdy Chico state students. I won the contest. No way. And then <laughs> I, I did comedy like a show, like a variety show. I got in with these comedians uh, that's, that still do stuff in the North state, but there's, there's strictly only North state comedians. Like you've never heard of them. Like my buddy, Aaron Standish. And I was doing a, like a weekly show with him. And then I just, I faded on it. I just, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what 
stand-up was. I didn't know how you get into it. I didn't know it's a real thing. I thought it was like the circus mm-hmm. and you had to run away and join it. I didn't get the whole thing. And so I just started uh, putting on shows and putting on bands and did like, I don't know, so I put on like 3,000 shows while I was uh, in Chico. Damn. Okay, so you just kind of were like, oh, I'm just going to make it because make it myself like make it happen here yeah like, like i you mean said, you felt like, like you had to run away and join the circus the sweaters now anyway it's like yeah i um <laughs> i'm very uh, i've gotten better but i'm uh, especially you know in my 20s and 30s i was very socially awkward and but like i liked parties but i didn't like going to parties so i just threw all my own parties and so I would just throw these enormous, gigantic parties <laughs> and people would be having a great time. And I would just be all stressed out, like with my clipboard, trying to run it or manage it or be in charge of it. And uh, it was like out of some neuroses that I just kept doing it. I couldn't stop doing it. And also late 80s in Chico, California was almost like, um, you know, the grunge explosion in Seattle or, you know, it was like. There were okay. so many bands. I, I would do 100 local bands in two days um, and just have like on stage drums, all the amps. And then a, guitar, a band would come up, play two songs. And another band would come up and play two songs. And so, oh, wow. yeah, I know. Phenomenal. And like I started creating these like citywide events. Uh, you know, there was like South by Southwest. And there used to be one mm-hmm. called North by Northwest that was up in Portland. And so in Chico, I created Nowhere by Nowhere because we were like, you know, it's a middle <laughs> of a rice field. But we yeah. did have like hundreds of bands over three days. And then I would put bands at fraternities on the golf course, like any taco or sock shop. And if you look at that, you can kind of see how things developed for me in comedy because I took the same model I used for bands and just switched it over to uh, comedians. This is all before mm-hmm. Quar. Things are different now, <laughs> but yeah. um, I'm trying to rebuild. But yeah, Chico was a, and in the late 80s, Chico was a last vestige of what America used to be like. Like it was a small town that had not been uh, encroached upon by like urban blight. I don't know. And like it was still had the small town charm, like the police of the police chief would call me up and be like, Hey, DNA, I heard you have a show today. And I'd be like, yeah, chief, we're going to, it was just a very, it was very, uh, a slice of America that I don't think exists anymore. And I, I just started, I published my own magazines while I was there and had a record label and we had a pirate radio station. And I did the, oh, uh, wow. the I did a uh, concerts in the park every week for 14 years uh, again, reminiscent of like what the Blue Lagoon was, but I was I was doing bands and uh, yeah, and then it similarly like Santa Cruz it, for Chico, it culminated with me t- opening my own theater, and I opened like this turn of the century vaudeville house and repurposed it into a performing arts center, and just started having bands and movies and stuff there. But all that time, all like that nineteen years, I never booked a comedian. Um, but I was hosting like, wow. almost every show and I really liked being, I liked being funny and getting laughs, but I still, mm-hmm. I had no clue that like stand up comedy was a thing you could actually do, uh, until I moved to the Bay area. Okay. So you're just, you're just always like the host and like, I, you're probably, were you doing like 
were you doing jokes? Like, were you yeah, like, telling? Yeah, there's some videos online of me uh, in the late uh, 80s or 90s with dreadlocks and in front of a you know a thousand people in the park doing jokes, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, it was there was a there That's was awesome. a statistic or there was an article in the Examiner at one point about Chico in the late 80s, early 90s. And I don't know how they got this statistic, but it said it was the town that did the most acid LSD and antacid, like equally blissed and pissed or something. And uh, <laughs> but we were all everyone was blazing. We were just all there was there, everyone was dosed out of their brain, like all the time there. And uh, all those concerts, like the videos of me online uh, that you can find is I'm just blazing on stage and in front of a thousand people. And also another feature of Chico that's so much Chico is the weather. Like the heat is like Fallujah. Like it's like 112, 115. We're outdoors, oh, wow. you know, just sweating rivulets. And uh, it was a great time. I mean, I, it was really great. It was like, you know, yeah, that sounds awesome. Like it sounds a movie, like there's uh, Animal House, kind of like in the sense that the fraternities were out of control. Like the fraternities, and this is like yeah. before rap music. Like the fraternities still had posters of Bob Marley and John Belushi on their wall. And so when we do these fraternity parties with some of the bands I work with, and uh, it they were like I said, like Animal, it was, a, it was just the last like Dionysian kind of like revelry where everyone was wasted and there were fights. We would handle them ourselves, you know, but it wasn't violent. Yeah. It never got weird until later on. Yeah. Wow. That sounds, that's so cool. Like just like, so you, you said you didn't realize you could do comedy until you got to the Bay area. Yeah. Like what, like what made you realize it when you got there? Was it like seeing? Uh, I was older. There, or? What was I like? Uh, like uh, two to twelve, twenty years ago. I don't know. I was like almost forty, and um, I always had wanted to do stand up at that point, and I was just watching more and. And I knew that to me, like Bay Area equals stand up comedy, you know, the clubs that were down here. And uh, I moved to um, Santa Cruz. My wife is from Santa Cruz. And um, here's what I thought. I thought, first of all, after coming off of all that stuff I just mentioned, I thought I was the shit. Like I thought this is what I thought. I thought (laughs) when I moved to the Bay Area 17 years ago or whatever, I was like, I'm going to be no one's ever seen anything like me before. I'm going to, I'm going to be at the top, like so quick, like the stuff I have, I was doing like the, you know how you are when you start, or maybe not you, but a lot of comedians just filthy as shit, just like shock value, everything's super dirty because you don't know anything else. There's some, yeah, I have, I look at some of the stuff I like some of my older recordings and I was definitely just like saying things to get like a reaction for sure. For sure. And, uh, (laughs) and I had so much confidence and when I moved down here, I was, I think for the first like three months of shows I did around town in Bay Area, uh, I was doing okay. Like I was somehow like keeping my head above water. And then I, there was a place called uh, Ron's Farmhouse uh, somewhere in San Jose. And I had my first truly bad set, like flop sweating. Like I couldn't remember my jokes. Like there were, I was just disjointed and nothing was coming together. And it was, it hurt me so bad. I stopped for like a couple of months and just thought about it and then realized, oh, I got to start all over. I can't, 
I'm not, I'm no big cheese. I got to start at the bottom and then work my way back up. And so then I started my own room in Santa Cruz. I think that's when we started the, we start. I had a room before the blue lagoon called the E3 playhouse and, um, okay. E3 playhouse. It was, uh, this kind of looks like a proud boy thing, but it was like a, it was like an E it was like a little E and then a three okay. that was their logo, but that's also ASL for asshole. And so they didn't know that when they picked that logo. Um, and I did shows there and I was doing, I was booking, I was like, I was booking, uh, oh, like who, who came to that? John Hoogagian. I don't know if you know Hoogs, but he was like in his heyday right around then. And I could mention a bunch of names you probably don't know, but what's that, Jay? Yeah. And Brendan Lynch. <laughs> You don't know I've the seen, you don't actually Michael, you don't know before. the myth of Brendan Lynch. But uh I've seen him at the poet at one time. Oh yeah. Yeah. The phenomena. He, but he did like this crazy crowd work thing with everybody. It was, oh whoa. Uh, was that the one where he was applauding as people left the room? I it I don't know. I just it was one night at the I can't remember yeah. when it was. It was one night at the poet he was there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I was starting I was starting to uh, do more shows and meet comedians and book comedians. And again, using the same uh, blueprint I had in Chico, I started running my own shows. And so I was, by running my own shows, I was meeting people and getting opportunities to do other people's shows. Um, and uh, that's how it all started. And then you started the Blue Lagoon after the E3. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I, I didn't there's... start Blue Lagoon. There was actually uh, this uh, couple, uh, Lindsay Blaz, who started the Blue Lagoon with her partner jimmy the sound guy and Lindsay was about five foot nothing and she would wear these stiletto heels so she'd be five foot four tattooed from her toes to her forehead and uh would wear a boa constrictor around her neck like a snake uh and uh, while she uh, performed and then um she also would have grand mal seizures sometimes and so this was the most, and you know, the blue lagoon is pretty hardcore, but this might be yeah. the most hardcore thing that ever happened. Lindsay, <laughs> Lindsay would do a setup to a joke and have a seizure. And like, you could almost smell the air, the barometric pressure would change in the room. Like I always knew when she was in the seas and we'd run on stage, we'd get her, we'd carry her off stage. And then we'd bring her back on stage afterwards. And she would do the punchline to the joke that she set up <laughs> before the seizure. Unbelievable. And then I was there from the second show she did. And then for the first couple of years, she ran it. Um, and I was there every single show and I was helping them with promotion and stuff. And then she just burned out on it and I took over. Yeah. And then and you're there now. It's like uh, it's like the shining, you know, and like you're the new Jack Torrance wandering <laughs> the halls of the of the uh, Blue Lagoon. Thank you. Yeah, I. I like, yeah, whenever I'm, that's so funny you say that. Cause when I was there last night with, with Sam and we were just sitting there and I was just like, every time I'm there, I just kind of look around and I'm always like, like, it's, it's hard to even think about how much has even happened like in that place. Yeah. Um, and I always wonder like people like yourself, like always have like this, what you just said right now, sounds crazy. Like, like I've asked, I've always asked people like, what's like the craziest, you know, thing that you've seen or like, what are some of the, like the, like funner, like, or more like wild shows, 
Like, there's got to be, like, I bet there was, like, certain time periods, uh, like, over your course of doing it where it was, like, there's got to be, like, you know. Oh, yeah. Like I mean, we had, we had a, um, we had years of, like, this rush where, you know, I mean, it was, like, you know, Mean Dave was starting out even before he got sober. Um, Phil Griffiths, Butch Escobar, Bentel Castillo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and then all whatever, whatever group of, um, UCSC students were involved at that time and then graduated and moved on. We'd always have new blood from the UCSC, you know, and then we got like Brenda Lynch and people like, uh, Corey Showtime Robinson and, um, you know, eventually doing stuff down here. I like, I saw, sorry, I saw that like in social media, I was looking through stuff I didn't, I, I haven't, I want to have him on the podcast too, because it's like he, it's like where like there's, he did comedy like all around this area where I live. Corey? It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, and then eventually we moved into like, you know, the Chad Opitz and uh, Emily Catalano. We had a huge run. I mean, like five years of every show was out the door and every show was stacked, you know, besides the locals that would fill in the beginning time. From that point mm-hmm. on, like the show was just every show was amazing. You know, and I got the band. Uh, I had a three piece band for almost the whole time I was there, a couple of different bands. And it was a thing, you know, and it was mm-hmm. a thing to do. And, and, and it was fucking amazing. Um, and then, you know, what I always said for the Blue Lagoon anyway, is in the course of a month, we'd have one show that was pretty shitty. That was just whatever. Nobody in the audience knew how to laugh or whatever the variables were, where it was not a great show or, you know, comedians were off their game, whatever. And then two shows a month would be like a good comedy show, like a working man's comedy show. Like everyone put in their time, audience did what they were supposed to do. And then one show a month would be, would be magic. It would just be like the greatest show you've ever seen. Um, And, I love that bar. I love the staff, you know, the hallway is laid out. It's really yeah. perfect. Um, yeah, it's unique. Yeah, it's, I did, it's, uh, we did, you know, I did 14 years. Cree pal did a year and then we did. That's when, that's the first time I did it was when she was doing it. Yeah. She ran that thing herself. And then, uh, now it's the, uh, you guys, you and Jorge and Caroline and Snyder and Tate and whoever mm-hmm. else is doing it. Yeah, and it's it's cool to talk to people like from that time period too, because um, they'll just bust out like it's endless. Like it's like a it's like a like a Pandora's box of stories. I feel like it's just I'll be standing with somebody and they're like, "Oh man, this one time," and they'll just tell me this crazy. Like, I'm like, "Holy shit, that happened here!" And they're like, "Yeah, dude." Like, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like I feel uh, and. Also, and I was too, like, I was out of my, I was out of my brain. I mean, I was like, uh, you know, because I was booking it, I was promoting it, I was running it, and I was hosting it. Um, and uh, like, ask Butch Escobar uh, because my thing was, and I'm doing it again, but in a totally different way. But like, I'm a lot of it's about training your audience. So like, the people that come to the show, they need to know what it is and understand how it works. You know, in comedy, like a lot of people think they can like, you know heckle and i was i was anti i was so anti heckling and i would i would get in people's faces like i would i would i threw physically i would i'm not a big you know i'm a skinny jew but i would throw people out of the bar just back them the fuck out of the room and uh ask butch he says he goes you know 
I'm not scared of a lot of people, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to go off on me. <laughs> uh, and uh, I probably did a lot of things that, that were too dangerous that I shouldn't ever do, but I did. Uh, because I, I, it was a lot of different levels. Like I respected, like Sean McKenzie, do you know Sean? Um, somebody else has mentioned that name. Yeah, Sean is the, the best. It's Sean, so Sean, Sean moved to New York City, he just recently moved back. But he... Um, uh, he would take the bus from San Francisco. Also, not only did we have just great lineups during that like five year sweet spot, but also there mm-hmm. were not a lot of shows in the Bay Area. San Francisco just didn't have a lot of mics at this particular juncture. And I can't give you the years off the top of my head, but like yeah. Bay Area comics would flock to the blue because it was this big crowd every week. And I gave people time, um, five minutes. <laughs> Wasn't a lot of time. Five minutes, you didn't get paid. Maybe you got a drink ticket, but the room was so good that people would come back. And I would, I just, it would blow my mind. I'd be like, Sean McKenzie would take a bus to get, it it seemed like so much work to come to the blue that the last thing I wanted was a heckler or a drunk whoever ruining that person's time. I would get really angry about it. And, um, and that would scare the rest of the audience. <laughs> They'd be like, Shh, "Don't, don't make the crazy guy scream at us again." I've, I accidentally did that at my show in Salinas one time. Yeah, I just went off on this person that I asked her like a couple times to stop talking before I went on stage. I was like, "Can you please, can you please stop?" And she just, and then I got up and she was talking while I was talking, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> I just was like. I just started. Yeah, I just started kind of going in. Well, the cool, you know, cool thing about one of one of the cool things about the blue is that you have your, you know, very long, dark, you know, CBGB punk rock room where the show is, but you can throw people out to the bar area and they're still in the they're still inside. You know what I mean? You have to throw them out to through the door. Because they can go somewhere else to talk. You're like out on the street. That would, that sounds. Uh, I might have thrown somebody intense. that far. I think I did push somebody that far. <laughs> like I threw the bar and all the way out the door. It was like 86. I don't remember. Maybe it was. I think it was Sam Weber. No, I don't know who it was. <laughs> that would be a sight to see. Just uh, like you pile driving uh, Sam out of the bar just yeah, by his uh, shirt. <laughs> well, yeah, we're not going to go down that road. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, so that uh, was my foundation in Santa Cruz. That was my main uh, bread and butter every week. And uh, oh, sorry. Uh, and um, then I started just like I did in Chico. I started creating festivals, you know, and then I started doing other rooms. And there, when I started, you know, when Lindsay when Lindsay was originally doing the blue, and I was doing E three, there was no scene. There was no, there was no scene. There was no local comedians, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then it, it started happening. Um, and uh, I just rode that wave, you know, and I still am pretty much, except we're kind of rebuilding the whole thing now because of uh, COVID, but it's happening now. You know, that's, I think we're almost at the point where we have seven days a week again, comedy. Yeah. I was going to say, it does kind of feel like it's coming back. It's not, you know, it's not like what it was before everything shut down, but it does. Yeah, it does have that feeling of like, oh, there's something like every week. Like, you know, you see like your your weekly posts of stuff. It's like there's like multiple shows mm-hmm. some nights, too, which is, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, 
like the mountain brewery came back alive too, mm-hmm. which was cool, you know, before. Yeah. And, uh, what Harag yeah. created there was extremely unique and that's, that's a fantastic room. Um, mm-hmm. but is it, you know, like when I used to do the San Cruz comedy festival, the thing I loved about it was like, you know, it was a hundred comedians, 12 venues, and then each comic would get multiple sets. So, you know, I'm actually, I'm right now, I'm just finishing. I just booked a little tour for Eddie Pepitone in April and we're going to do something in Santa Cruz. I'm starting kind of a, a new festival. It's kind of still filling out called Comedy Revolution, but it's not like it used to be because it used to be 100 comedians, 12 venues. And then so you do a set at the Poet and the Patriot and then you do a set at the Kumbwa, then you run to Rosie McCann's and you do a set and then, you know, so comedians get up to six sets a night in, in one night. Wow. And I would take into consideration, you know, their, their weight and their general health and how far they can run and how fast, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was like the physical requirements. It was like amazing race, but like no prize. Like you just get to work, <laughs> you work for free, but it was great for the comedians because they loved doing multiple sets and it was just a super cool event, but I don't know if I could bring that back. I don't see that. It's, we're not there yet. Uh, mm-hmm. It's everything, you know, vax, no vax, you know, what can you do? And most of those venues closed during quarantine. Um, but yeah. Yeah, which is, which is, yeah, it's sad to see some of them close. I heard in the, there's a rumor that, that Rosie McCann's might be coming. Yeah, I heard something online. like that too. So that, that might be cool if that happens. Uh, who, who knows though it's like hard to say there's always <clears throat> there's been like you know speculation and stuff about like the I've heard stuff about the poet too like that's going to be something different or that it might be like uh, just like the same but like under new ownership I don't know yeah it's, I have uh, no idea I mean I, you know I'm, I've just been going I've been kind of going out to new venues so you know we're doing this thing at greater purpose every Friday night that's turned into a pretty sweet room that Cree pal and I run and then tonight is uh going to be 11th hour comedy 11th hour coffee me and Tyler Hines run that and that's a super fun room um and then me and Mac Ruiz Ruiz whatever yeah I saw that I say, Mac. Uh, we're doing the paradox <laughs> hotel twice a month and then I got something a monthly coming up at Shanty Shack. Um, but like, you know, I mean, everybody can start a show. Like I, I had 3000 shows under my belt before I even did my first comedy show. And it's just like, mm-hmm. I really care about it. Like I want to be like a Michelin restaurant. You know, I want to be a chef. I want to be a Michelangelo of putting on shows. Like I want to, uh, I mixed, I mixed up my uh, metaphors there, but I want, I want to, you know, I care. Like I, I care about the lineup. Like it's very, you know, like I, I think, were you there? Yeah, you were there the night I hosted when we people sang happy birthday to you. Yes. And I went over, I think you were in the group, maybe not. But I went over and I was like, please don't say give it up for DNA. Like, oh, yeah, I'm the fucking, I'm, there's a, str- you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There, there's a way to do it. I'm, a, I'm the host. I say give it up. I say give it up for <laughs> this guy. Give it up for that guy. You don't say it to me. I'm the fucking host. I like, get you know, and I get it's kind of a new comedian thing. You're nervous or whatever. And, you know, like they introduce, okay, that was a good, that was fun. Get, keep it going for your host DNA. Fuck you. No, you're the, you're <laughs> you just say so long. And then I come yeah. on, let me do my, you said it to me. And then, uh, I was wrapping up my set and <laughs> I actively had to think about it. And I like, was like, 
Oh, I just, I said, I think I said keep it going for the other comics because I was just like, I don't, I like almost did. And then right in the moment I was like, oh, because <laughs> I knew, I knew if I did it, you'd be like, what the fuck, dude? And then the, uh, keep it going for the other comics is, you know, that's the headliner. The head, the headliner can say it. They have, that's the, the thing almost every headliner yeah. says when they come out, they go, oh, how about a hand for all the comics you've seen tonight? There's a certain, it's a script. And there's certain mm-hmm. things that are, you know, you hit the notes on the script of what a good show is. What would you suggest is. then, like, as a, like a, somebody just going up in the middle? What would you suggest is what to say at the end of your set? You know, <laughs> uh, I, what would I suggest? Yeah. Like a way like, out. Would, a way out? I mean, a thing, way out. Like, what's a good way well, out, I, I guess? Good, you know, a pretty a pretty standard thing, which is very Asperger's, is uh, that comedians do, is they, at the end of the set, they go, all right, well, that's my time. Uh, thank you. I've been Michael Booth. Like people always, you know, people always say their name at the end, which is, it's not a bad thing to do. I, you know, I think like mm. to get them to remember who you are, or, you know, there was like a, sh- a brief moment in time when every comedian ended with like, you can follow me on uh, Twitter or whatever at Booth comedy. Uh. You know, the people would give their handles out at the very end. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, just don't way, fucking introduce the host. I mean, make, <laughs> your, make it your own, you know, curtsy, bow at the, at the, you know, and what, let me just address the elephant in the room here, uh, Mike, but, uh, what? uh, I'm, I'm old. Uh, and like, I get that, you know, I, I get it when I'm on stage, when I'm on stage of like, whatever people my age, no one notices I'm old, but like, you know, like tonight at 11th hour coffee, the average age is like 20. Um, and so I usually got to say something about, uh, being old. Um, but at that San Cruz mountain brewery show that you were at, uh, you know, that's a very young audience also, you know, 21, mm-hmm. I'd say, cause it's a brewery, although there's probably people under 21 anyway. Um, and, uh, and does it make me nervous? It makes me, sometimes it, makes, it feels like I have to try. I feel like I have to prove something. To to them for some I don't know it's weird it's in my own head, but the you very, have to prove I, that you're not like you have to prove that you're that you're you still what are you trying like you you're I, still hip I, is I, that what you're trying to <laughs> I think in general people like to see people that look like themselves on stage, and if you see someone that looks mm. like you or your same age you give them a lot wider uh, permission to fail. And then when it's, uh, you know, someone looks like your dad or grandfather or your, your grandma's vagina or whatever I look like, you know, like they're, it's like more narrow. Like they were like, Ugh, fucking old white guy. Great. We have a great reputation. Um, so I try I try harder, you know, self-deprecating, win them over, whatever the fuck. But anyway, I get nervous. And so at the end of that Santa Cruz Mountain Brewery show uh, and there was a table of like five dudes, like three inches from the mic. I was uh, I was like, all right, well, uh, I'm out here. Have a good show. And then like, uh, I, the mic started to fall off the mic stand, and I couldn't get it. And the mic fell into a beer cup on a stool, and then the whole thing oh, tipped no. over. But it was pretty like sweet, like it was like a like beer pong. It was like a trick. Oh, okay. And nice. like uh, the guys, in, all the dudes in the front row, they're like, do that again. That was amazing. <laughs> uh, smooth, smooth exit. Um. But I don't care. That's just what I, you should do now. You I, should just throw the mic in the that's my signature, glass every time. Signature thing. Yeah. Sorry about your mic. It's full of beer now. Yeah, you just destroy everything. Yeah, destroy the equipment. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen that before, man. There's this comedian at the Blue Lagoon. I know his name, but I won't say it. But he was all high on shrooms at the Blue performing. And he was like holding onto the mic stand. He was super nervous. You could tell his like knuckles were white. And he just snapped the mic stand in half. <laughs> and I was like, come on. Because he was just holding it so yeah, tight. He, he just so, broke it. He was so high. Wow. Uh, that would freak me out if I was on <laughs> you tripping and then you just break. You're just like, wow. Like, <laughs> I would feel so bad and just. Yeah, also feel like that you have some sort of like, I don't know, superhuman strength or something. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, you were also doing an outdoor show during the the pandemic too. That was that like a it was like a winery, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, dur- actually during the actual uh, pandemic, I did. Um, you know, I was very impressed by. Sam Weber and uh, Brian Snyder and Natasha Collier putting on that Church Street, um, you know, uh, on the second level of a parking structure outdoor comedy show every Friday Mm -hmm. all through the pandemic and the Santa Cruz Mountain Fires. And I really I was just like, that's fucking great. And, you know, if I was 40 years younger, I would fucking be doing it also. I just thought it was great that, you know, the younger comedians and the locals were like, we're going to keep the continuity going, you know, we're never going to stop doing comedy. You know, we're comedians, man, you know, rain, snow, hail, hurricane, you know, we're going to do, we're going to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was inspired by that. And so when it came around for the Santa Cruz comedy festival to supposed to be happening, I did it as an outdoor drive-in thing. And, um, you know, I had been doing the drive-in shows and fucking hated it. You know, it was, it was like a little bit better than zoom, but like, differently shitty and um but um you know especially while we were all in the middle of it together we were all collectively were unsure if anything was ever going to come back to normal so we were trying to establish our new normal of like this is what the new normal is you sit in your car if you like us you hunk your horn you know if you don't like us you accelerate and fucking run us over like <laughs> I, great you know this is it and so yeah. i did i did that i did a two-day festival with lori kilmartin and a bunch of uh bangers and killers from uh the bay area and from la i brought up a bunch of la comics and it was two days of that and we donated uh i don't know about a thousand bucks to the the ben loman firemen uh who were battling oh, nice. the fire and um, I don't think any of us liked it. Uh, you know, we did it. I think we, I think we all liked that we had, were now out of our house and we were seeing each other and there was like, it was like good for us as comedians to do that. But as far as the show goes, it was just like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's just too mm-hmm. weird. I don't know. It's like, you know, yeah, there I, was good. I was going to say there was a couple of nights at the, at the parking lot where it was, you definitely felt like there wasn't a lot of cars. You were like, and it was really cold and you're like, everybody's in their car. You know, nobody's like standing out. So you don't have anybody to, you don't have anybody to have like an in-person interaction with. No. Yeah. It definitely felt like really disconnected. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, towards the end, it started to feel like and there other stuff started to open up, but yeah, there was like, I think it was like during the winter time, probably. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, time, absolutely. Know. And yeah. you know, my thing, is that uh give me you know give me not necessarily zoom but give me the weird live show give like one of my favorite um 
shows we used to do in Santa Cruz was at a place in Aptos called the Med and the Mediterranean. And the Med was the dive, the shithole. And like people hated it there and had horrible sets. But I, to me, it was always a challenge. I'm like, how do I conquer the Med? Like, if I can get that one guy at the bar who has tuberculosis and won't stop coughing to like be on my side, like I won the game. And I started having my best sets I ever had at the Med. Because there was nothing to lose, first of all, you know, so the pressure's mm-hmm. off. And I started to feel that way with the driving shows at Church Street, too. After I got through the first one, after the first one, I was like, oh, this is like a ride at Disneyland. Like, you know, it's a small world. I saw it. I don't need to go on it again. But then I'm like, well, fuck it. You know, it's a challenge, you know, and there's nothing else going on. And so I started leaning into the whole driving show and I, I would have. I had good sets and I, I, I liked it and it was fun, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I think is just true of any show. You know, it's like I'm not a snob. I like I just like doing comedy. I don't, you know, big crowd, small crowd. And then as soon as uh, the quarantine ended, was that true? Like it ended like in March, the whole lockdown aspect of it. I started doing outdoor shows at a winery and like one of we were the first some of the first shows to be happening, it seemed like in the entire area, like Bay area. And I was mm-hmm. bringing up like LA comedians. It was a winery. Tickets were a little bit high, expensive. Um, and again, you know, first time I was seeing, you know, Emily Catalano or Torio or Matt Lieb or whoever, you know, uh, Kevin Camilla for, for, you know, we haven't seen each other in a year and a half and it was, it was cool and it was outdoors and it felt safe. Um, and I think we've gotten a little bit lax on what is safe and what isn't safe, but at the same time, it's such a fucking bubble. I was just in New Jersey for a week. I just got back and no one, no one wears masks. I mean, the whole state. No, we went to bars. We went out. No one's wearing a mask. And then my family's like, oh yeah, we don't wear masks anymore. So it's just a, it's just a weird place. Uh, and, but I still, I don't want to get it and I won't want anyone in my audience to get it. And so. We still do the condoms on, on the microphone. That's my condom mm-hmm. on a microphone. Hence, the universal <laughs> sign. Condom on a microphone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, try to do outdoors if I can. I, I like Greater Purpose Brewery. It's very airy and roomy. And we vax check everybody before they come in. And then the new uh, rooms, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh in addition to like putting on shows and stuff too, I've noticed that like I've seen you like talk about like these articles. It looks like that you're are you are you're like you're also like writing and putting stuff out. Like uh is that like how did you get into doing that? Was that something that you've all were always kind of doing in addition to the like you said you're putting out your own magazine, so you're just yeah. kind of always doing like the did you just build from that? Build from like doing putting out your own magazine to like yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I got like I got side hustles. You know what I mean? Like I was in the band for a while, and we had a hit song in Northern California, and I did that because I had a record label for other bands, and I was working with so many bands. I'm like, I don't, I can't, I have to be in a band. Like I can't keep working with bands and not know what it's like to be in a band. Uh, then we just like, you know, kind of like luckily just had a hit a hit song that got on the radio uh for for a long time and then um i started writing but i have like a i have a processing disorder so um writing didn't come naturally for me and so when i was publishing my own 
magazines, it was very freeing because I was my own editor. So like I look back at a lot of the things I published and grammatically they're just fucking nightmares, but it gave me the confidence to just be a writer. Uh, and then mm-hmm. those early publications, again, we're talking late eighties, early nineties, you know, the, the, the web was in its nascent kind of, you know, very early form stage. Um, and so people didn't have access to information. And so I was publishing these magazines uh, and like we would talk about legalization. That was a big thing we were pushing for of weed. We were against deforestation. So we had like a lot of forestry issues. My first wife was a midwife. So a lot of pregnancy and having your baby at home stuff in there. So kind of hit the mm. granola a little bit. But I mean, also issues that are very uh, woke to talk about now, you know. Um, what else? We were very anti-male toxicity. Uh, we published a lot of articles about that. And uh, then I started doing interviews. And so what I found was, again, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you know, more of an innocent time. I would just like yeah. to make a little, I would just make like a little like, card that says press on it and put it like in my hat like i'm part of the press like i'm i work for a newspaper (laughs) and i would just go fucking start interviewing whoever and uh i interviewed like desmond tutu uh archbishop desmond tutu i just i would force myself into anywhere where i wanted to talk to people and it, it was part of my um what i promised myself when i dropped out of graduate school of sonoma state because like I went to grad school in Sonoma state and I don't know if you or mm-hmm. other people watching have experienced this, but like when you're in graduate school, like you're like, you're like 23 or whatever, you know, 24 and you've been in school 21 years. Like you've been in school your whole life, you know, and that I started to be like, I've only experienced school. I've never experienced life. Like I'm tired mm-hmm. of school. Like I want to get out. And uh, I made a promise to myself that, I'd go try to meet every single person that I studied in school or that I had a personal fascination or passion with. And so it was kind of like a quest. And so I started doing that. I started trying to find oh, all the whoa. people that inspired me and either go meet them, hang out with them or interview them. And I found it incredibly easy to do so. Um, and because I was starting to land, I interviewed like Stan Lee, you know, from Marvel comics. This is before the first Spider-Man movie came out. And, um, because I was landing these big, you know, I interviewed a uh, uh, astronaut Edgar Mitchell, you know, world leaders. <laughs> I was fucking fearless. I was like, <laughs> oh, this is, you know, a door open. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to run in this door. And so yeah. because I had these amazing interviews, I was able to start selling them to magazines. So I started being published internationally, like in the late 80s um, from like this this Australia magazine called Revelation. I was actually their U.S. correspondent. Um, some UK magazines. One was called Bizarre. Uh, I forget the name of the other one. And then I started working for Larry Flint, um, who was from Hustler magazine and also the movie. What is the movie called? United States First Larry Flint with Woody Harrelson plays Larry Flint. Anyway. Uh, but a big, you know, you know, a porno publisher, but a big proponent of uh, First Amendment rights. And so I guess I started getting, I guess I started getting published in high end magazines, but it wasn't satisfying uh-huh. me to what I wanted to talk about. So I started publishing my own newspapers. And so I always kind of did that. And then um, then I kind of made it. I got jobs at newspapers and then 
it's a check, you know. So I, I still do that. I write yeah. for Good Times and do cover stories, and uh, still I've got I've gotten much better at writing, uh, <laughs> a lot better. I used to make up words. I used to just make up words. People would be like, that's, that's not a word. I'll be like, yeah, it fucking sounds good though, right? It fits in here. Yeah, it fits real good. That's Sorry. really cool. Like, yeah. it, it just, uh, no, it seems like, well, the whole time we've been talking, I've been kind of thinking about the first thing you said about how, like, it's the stuff that you were interested in and you were looking at kind of seemed like, it was like far away. So you were just, you've just been trying to create it for yourself and you've ended up making all of this stuff and creating like this own, you know, this, like this own reality for yourself, which is like a really cool thing to, to like, to just hear you talk about. Cause I, I kind of knew, you know, that there's been this long, you've had this long, like, uh, you know, journey of doing that, but I didn't, you know, it just seems like it's like every, every facet you could really get into you kind of explored and like you said like you just ran for it yeah for sure you know and like a lot a lot uh some of it coalesced into the uh web series we did called stand up santa cruz um and i've seen clips of that and i've always wondered what that was yeah it was this web series that that shot really beautifully by my uh cinematographer director buddy matt kazee who owns uh bocce's or whatever it's called now or bonnie's Mm -hmm. and um he was looking for he was looking for uh, someone to write a series, and I had just had this experience at the we did a show at the Blue Lagoon, and after Blue Lagoon shows, like back in the day when it was me, Lynch, Phil, Mean Dave, other comics, mm-hmm. and we go to chat, we go to the uh, Tampico restaurant across from the Blue Lagoon, which has been torn down, but we're hanging in the Tampico one night, and the conversation was so thick, dude. I was just like, dude, this should be a fucking series and i went home and wrote it down and then within like two weeks this stranger this guy from kentucky matt contacted me and he goes i'm looking to get a film a comedy series i heard you're the guy and i'm like i just wrote this script and then like within a month we had our first episode down and um and like if you talk to butch escobar about it like he'll say you know like that he well, first of all, Butch didn't think it was gonna happen. Butch didn't get surprised. Butch wasn't prepared at all, and um, <laughs> like he, he was like, "Oh, you know, I didn't think. I thought it'd be like some international students like you used to work with from Belarus with like a fucking VHS, you know, camera." But it was like a it was a high end production because Matt had all the equipment, and mm-hmm. uh, Butch said something about how he goes, "I'm sure." He goes, "I'm sure." Because they they play like Butch played Butch in the series, Ben Del Castillo played Ben, Chad played Chad, Emily played Emily, and um, Butch said, "I'm sure this is how DNA actually sees us. <laughs> like I'm sure like the character we're playing is how he sees who we think. This is who he thinks we really are, and it mm-hmm. sort of is true. Like I I just had you know maybe it's the processing disorder or what, but." I tend to mythologize people and and create uh, stories around them. And so I thought the series was really good. I, I love that series. Uh, I'll die on that hill. I think it was. Does it is it available anywhere? Yeah, yeah it's online. You... Stand oh, up okay. uh, Santa Cruz, the series, and it's uh, on Vimeo, I think. And there's four episodes. And then we edited all four into a movie that we showed at the Santa Cruz Film Festival. Um, oh. But there are some sh- just like a Blue Lagoon show. Some of it drags. Some of it's just stupid. And then some of it's kind of like sparks of genius. 
and I don't mean that on me. I mean, the performances, some of the, you know, Benedict, uh, Ben Del Castillo, uh, one of my favorite uh, comedians uh, to emotionally abuse. He he is a great character in, in the series and he has some really excellent and he, but everyone, everyone really rose to the occasion on that series. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to check it out because I've, I've seen pictures and stuff, but I never, I, you know, I I'll never send, I'll what send you like, a what link. This looks like. I'll okay. send you a link. You can check it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, but like you're saying, I'm not like, I'm not like a, you know, I'm no renaissance man. Like you hear that term, but that's like someone who's really good <laughs> at painting and music and really good at a lot of things. I'm not really good at anything. I just do a lot of things. And like together, they kind of, it seems impressive. <laughs> if you ever actually analyzed as one part of it, you'd be like, well, all right, he's, try- he's trying. Well, uh, I just want to say uh, thank you for, for doing this today. Yeah, man, that was fun. And uh, yeah. And I, I want to like right now, like tell people, I know you've mentioned it a few yeah. times, but like where can people, you know, follow you in the area to go check out all the shows and stuff that you're doing and like, you can go stuff. you can go to dna's comedy lab.com um that is the uh, comedy club we opened in santa cruz before the pandemic and then our one-year anniversary plague so it's, <laughs> we still have the website dna's comedy lab.com i'm still sort of operating under that business name um and i think i will until june and then i'm going to change the name of of what my enterprise is but through that, you can find out what shows we have coming up. We have we have shows uh, every Friday at Greater Purpose. We have a New Year's Eve show we're doing. Mike, you're going to be on that. Um, that'll be a lot mm-hmm. of fun and uh, a bunch of other stuff. But yeah, and then uh, and then my handle is uh, Vote DNA V O T E DNA. Uh, you could vote for me at Vote DNA, and that's at Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, Gmail. If you're really feeling like you need to tell me what a Nazi I am because I make you show your proof of vax. I've never been called a Nazi so much as I have in the last six months. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, thank you for... Yeah, yeah dude, thank you, Mike. Uh, appreciate and, uh, you, uh, as Ted Lasso would say, and um, I'll see you soon. Yeah, see you around. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please make sure to like and subscribe on any platform you're on right now and head over to Instagram or Facebook. Give the page at I'm Getting There Pod a follow to continue to stay updated on this. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>